Hi there, listener. It's Matthew. You've come looking for an episode of the Children's Book Podcast, and you've found it. Hooray! But you're probably wondering why the name of the podcast has changed. After eight years of doing the Children's Book Podcast, I began a new career as head of podcasts at A Kid's Company About, where I now oversee a podcast network dedicated to producing original content that talks up to kids, centers the things going on in their world, and engages and challenges how they see the world and themselves. All of the episodes of the Children's Book Podcast are still here, but now, if you're subscribed, you'll get new episodes of Worth Noting, a kid's podcast about current events, hosted by me. Something for you and the young people in your life to enjoy together. Enjoy this episode, and I hope you'll check out Worth Noting and other podcasts from a kid's company about... Support for the Children's Book Podcast comes from the Complete Picture Book Submission System. You have one chance to make an impression with an agent or editor with your picture book submission. The Complete Picture Book Submissions System will help ensure yours stands out above the rest. Created by New York Times bestselling author Emma Walton Hamilton and 12 by 12 Picture Book Challenge founder Julie Headland. The Complete Picture Book Submission System provides an easy-to-follow, step-by-step, foolproof process for every aspect of crafting submissions. No more fear. No more guesswork. No more reinventing the wheel each time you submit a new manuscript. To get their seven-step submission checklist, visit picturebooksubmissions.com today. That's picturebooksubmissions.com. Is it that easy? Hello. Oh, hello. There you go. It is that easy. (laughs) (laughs) You missed a good conversation about Dr. Seuss. I'm sorry, Archer. That's my fault. (laughs) Hi, Archer. I'm Matthew. It's nice to meet you. Hi, Matthew. Nice to meet you as well. Thank you for joining. Of course. And white fragility. Dr. Seuss and white fragility. (laughs) (laughs) A set of board books birthed from a now or never moment. This is the Children's Book Podcast, episode number 575. I'm your host, Matthew Winner. Today I'm joined by Britt Merlis and Archa Srivastav from Little Feminist. The Little Feminist team has debuted in the board book scene with three inclusive board books, Hair, Families, and On the Go. Each board book is full of beautiful photos depicting all kinds of kids families from all different backgrounds, traditions, ages, shapes, and skin tones. The accompanying text in each book is pragmatic and joyful, creating a board book that transcends age. Seriously, I read this set of books to my fourth graders and they were transfixed. Brit and Archa also talk a bit about the founding of Little Feminist and how they hope the monthly book boxes from this intersectional feminist company are reaching readers of all ages. Please welcome my guests, Britt Merlis and Archa Shravasta from Little Feminist. All right, so I am uh, 
Britt Merlis, and I am the founder and CEO of littlefeminist.com. My gender pronouns are she, her, hers, and I think I did that out of order. (laughs) So we're off to a good start. (laughs) (laughs) I think you nailed it. You're fine. Okay. All right. And I'm Archa Shavastav. I am the education director at Little Feminist. And so I do a lot of the content curation of the books that we send out to families, as well as um, some of the collaborative writing for these books that we just published. And my preferred pronouns are she, her, hers. You all do good stuff. Britt, I can't even remember if it was you who first reached out to me or, or who, but no, my awareness... Me, that was the only person who was reaching out to anybody. You remember? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well played. Um, it's as, a, as an individual who gets a lot of emails, because you work in publishing, you get emails. Um, mm-hmm. It was a fine surprise to be uh, to become aware of the work that you're doing, and then also to see it firsthand, to be seeing, seeing these subscription boxes and seeing the way you are working to center girls and to center marginalized voices and also to just have good content and raise good humans. I feel like since the outset, um, I've considered you a partner in in working with children as I as I always am seeking out in the world, those partners, those people that are working to center all that children bring to the table. So bravo for you. Um, doing a great job. How is life at Little Feminist? Thank you. That warms my heart. Um, how is life? Uh, ever-changing, challenging, <laughs> and amazing. Um, <laughs> when did you when, start Little Feminist? So Little Feminist started two years ago. Oh my word, you're I, a baby company. Yeah, oh I goodness. know our babies. I quit my job three years ago to start the company. It was actually... Uh, right after um, our current president got elected, and it felt like a now or never um, moment to to stand for uh, diversity in children's literature. So it was a bit of an accident. And when friends or family ask me how Little Feminist is doing or how I'm doing with it, I usually say it's the most terrifying and most exciting job I've ever had in my life. <laughs> <laughs> That's... I, I feel like that you lead your company as if it's both of those things. I feel like mm-hmm. you're trying to make every decision count. I mean, I imagine it has to because there's there's money on the line. There's there's a job on the line, putting mm-hmm. a roof over your head and such. But I, I'm gonna guess you've done all right because you you've, you've got other people working with you now. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It used to just be me and our little spare bedroom. (laughs) Um, And now, I mean, and part of it also became knowing that if, if it, if it was just me and my little spare bedroom picking books, that that's not, that that's not what our mission and vision was about, that it was a collaborative effort to pick great diverse books. And so Arches, it was a perfect fit. And then also engages several other folks in helping us select our monthly book picks. Yeah. And I think, coming from the a different angle of what the world is of little feminist is like um i always tell people that i'm working my dream job because i literally get to read children's books all day long and it's it's really amazing that um we have this opportunity to kind of just dive into this 
world of children's literature that's taking off in this direction of diversity. And so I think it's so exciting to be doing the work that is blowing up in these really big ways in the world. Yeah, I would agree. I see it as we librarians, we are looking for these books. Teachers are looking for these books. Parents are looking for these books. And I think that that having as many allies as you can, as many sources as you can trust to Mm -hmm. help bring not just good books, but authentic voices, um, books that also uh, come with guides, activities, questions, ways to live in that book, spend time in that book, allow uh, a meaningful connection to that book. Right. Um, These are all things that are really important. I think that um, publishing also is slow. So as much as we express our needs for what we want in this world, Mm -hmm. they're slow to respond because it takes some time to publish books. And also there's a, 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 I mean, if you're if you're following like what books are selling, that also takes time. If they're buying the rights to a book three years in advance, and then it takes until it gets to all of us book buyers to be able to mm-hmm. inform them on like how sound their purchase was or whatever, like mm-hmm. that seems like a really challenging thing. And to see little feminists step out with books of your own, step out in response to to a, a place where there was a need um, and to, I think it's fair to say so carefully step out to make sure that you were doing it right, that you were doing mm-hmm. no harm, that you were contributing and not just, I don't know, it's awful to say of publishers that they're just trying to get a piece of the pie, but I would be remiss if not to point out that like, we're at a time when diversity is selling. So yeah. when I get so true. emails yeah. from publicists, publicists are saying like, Hey, this is another hashtag own voices book. And it's a little cringy that you're, you're, I get that you're trying to inform to me, but are you also just trying to market to me with that, with that language? Right. That's such a good, I, um, the one thing you brought up that I, I didn't say in, in terms of how little feminist started was so the, the, exactly the form that little feminist has taken has taken now is has been a a process and at first i was just thinking about doing a um a, a book subscription and then quickly noticed and this is my own white privilege how not, how not diverse the children's book market was but then in addition to that how hard it was to find great books um and there's amazing blogs out there and amazing Instagrams. And I, as a new, as a newbie, I didn't have those resources yet. Uh, and so really my question became like, how do new parents, um, or gift givers who want to give a conscious gift know where to start on this? Because you can't type a great book featuring black female character into Amazon and get, um, get anything or if you do that, it's just a list of bestsellers and, you know, those are the books with the biggest dollars behind them, which aren't always the stories that um, need to be told. So I love that you you said that. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, this is this is the work, isn't it? That as librarians, we're trying to constantly read and evaluate as well. But to imagine mm-hmm. you being in that space of. I can't always get to the library or I do want to buy a book, but I just don't know what to get. You're, you're being 
a concierge in some way to these parents that they know what they want, but they're not sure how to go about getting it. And you can't always rely on, if you even have the privilege of having access to a local independent bookstore, uh, let alone whatever a a big box bookstore might carry. Right. um, It's, if you're going onto the internet, it's so hard to find, to find what's good and what's right. And there's something to be said. And maybe this is also the connection I feel to you, Britt, to Mm -hmm. little feminist in general, is that I know that I've worked to create a platform through this podcast and that that takes reading a lot of books, which I'm, I I can't wait, Archie, to hear more about (laughs) reading a lot of books because I love that process but then trying to think with a critical lens of if I'm going to center one book or, or in my case, if I'm going to center five books this month, which are the ones that I think my choices are really going to count if I choose these, which are the ones that this is going to give opportunity for my students to see themselves or for children to see themselves or families to see themselves. Cause that's the work I want to be doing. That's the mark I want to leave behind. So you've got how many, how many, why don't you, I'm taking advantage of this notion that I already know what you do, mm-hmm. but for the sake of folks that don't know what you get when you subscribe to Little Feminist, why not do just a little bit of an advertisement here and share what it is people are getting? Yeah, Arsha, why don't you describe, and you can yeah. speak about how you, how you choose all, how you go about choosing all these amazing right. collections. Yeah, um, as uh, you were just talking, I was thinking about, you know, how it is um, an honor for us in some ways that, you know, parents and families are coming to us saying, what should we um, give our children to read, you know, and so we take that, um, we take that seriously, you know, what, what do you want to put in front of a child that can um, shape their worldview in so many different ways, and so um, really, in some ways, we're kind of a, a research service too because uh like you were mentioning earlier reading it takes time to read so many books and uh we spend a lot of time reading a lot of books and in our in our book boxes that we send out we have a zero to three book box a three to seven book box and a seven to nine book box and so we send out new books every month in those boxes um and so far we have from when our company has started, we haven't repeated any books yet. And in in those books that we're looking for, I think one of, um, especially considering the fact that I have personally experienced knowing what it feels like to never see a book that tells your story authentically, one of the um, really big components is, um, I know you mentioned it as a marketing gimmick, but hashtag own voices is, is something that we, you know, uh, I, we really hold close to us as we, as we pick up books and to be clear, telling the story. Yeah. Yeah. To be clear, I think that own voices is extremely important, Yeah, yeah. but in the wrong hands when it's turned away from its focus, exactly the same thing is happening with we need diverse books mm-hmm. where yeah. it becomes just yeah. something we, we stamp on stuff and it, it dilutes the meaning. And, and that's awful because to be working firsthand with children and to be saying to other children, here's why it's valuable to have someone from within your community, within your experience, within your religion, within your background, 
sharing a story. It's a way of speaking your truth. And to have someone else do that, and to have that be then the one book with that with that inclusion that a publisher publishes that year, um, right. it becomes hugely important. But when applied to own voices about, I don't know, like divorce or stuff that I feel like, <laughs> come on, you're getting away, yeah. you're losing sight. So yeah, I digress though. I cut you off. I apologize. No, no, no. Of course that was, um, that is definitely something that even in that own voices, um, sort of trend, so to speak, it, it does even within that require a lot of research and research that's not, there's not a clear path to do, you know, you can't just Google some of these questions you're, you have when you're like, whose story is this? Who's telling this story? You know, whose voices are left out? That's not something that can be answered with a quick search online. And so um, even within those books, there's so much nuance to read into. Um, and I think that really it, it is though kind of our our guiding light in terms of who is who's telling the story and whose story are they telling you know um that means a lot to us as we look for books because especially um with diversity becoming so marketable you'll see characters um of color in books and that story might be completely separated from any of the cultural context but mm -hmm. they're it seems like they've literally just chosen a skin tone that's not yeah. a white character for the sake of making the cover look more marketable. And so I think that we really um, try to get into that nuance as we look at books that, you know, you might go into a parent might walk into a bookshop and say, I, if I'm a white parent of a white child, I don't want my child to be just reading books with white children in them. And so I'm going to try to show them what the how the world is outside of their view and that might be what they pick up is just oh, okay here's a book that has uh i don't know has a latino child on the cover um but you know it's it, that research of who wrote that story and whose story are they telling is is where we come in Support for the Children's Book Podcast comes from Storyteller Academy. Learn the art of storytelling and unlock your creative potential with a team of story coaches and published professionals helping you achieve your creative goals. Sign up today at StorytellerAcademy.com. these books that you're reading that I imagine um, that some might be brand new that you're reviewing from publishers that they're about to release through advanced reader copies or something and others might be reading um, backlist titles uh, how how do you decide what feels like the right fit what feels like this is I don't know of the moment and, and what we need to share now what fits with your with with not just this one month, but also the larger story you're trying to tell for folks that maybe have subscribed since the beginning, and so they have received, um, or they they've they've built a library through you so mm -hmm. far. Yeah, um, we try and one of our um, 
descriptors of our of our book subscription service and of our company is that we are an intersectional feminist book club and um while that isn't in our company name uh, it is something that we hope to one educate people around because that word can be confusing for a lot of folks who might not um, know about feminism with that depth and two it's something that we really think about when we look at the breadth of what we're offering is that you know, thinking about female characters or just thinking about gender in general and its representation in children's literature and thinking about race and its representation in children's literature are really just two factors of the many intersections of identity. And so we really try to think about, I mean, it involves spreadsheets. <laughs> so we try and, we try to keep track of what we have, um, you know, not we try to, we do keep track of what we've uh, sent out to families and kind of which intersections of identity those are showcasing and which ones we want to, you know, bring in a little bit more of if our balance is going more towards maybe one identity we try to bring in. Um, something to balance that for example um books featuring indigenous characters are that are own voices stories are very hard to come about they're very rarely published and even when you look within the statistics of um you know how few children of color are represented in store in picture books um the statistic for how many indigenous uh children are represented in picture books is at the is the lowest statistic of those, of the breakdown of all the different uh, races. And so um, we, that's an example of one we try to more heavily include. And uh, shout out to Canadian publishers. They have a movie. <laughs> oh my <laughs> word. Indigenous High water words. press. We are looking yeah. at you. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, no um, you know, so that's, that might be kind of what we, um, well, that's maybe a more technical, the spreadsheet might be a little bit more of a technical way we pick stories, but also we, um, especially as a teacher, one of the things I say to Britt often is that we want it to be, we want all of those things when it comes to diversity and intersectional feminism, but we also want it to be an amazing story. We want to know that this is high quality writing and that this person is writing for children and knows that what children love and how they love to hear stories. And so there is, there is kind of that emotional component involved of does the story speak to us and us, like Britt mentioned earlier, isn't just me and her, but we have a team of consultants we work with so that we can get more people who we know that the story is speaking to in some way when it comes to the sensitivity we've built around what is the world of children's literature lacking. I love that. We do, um, I should mention, we do, so we look at, I mean, we talk about kind of building a curriculum. And like you said, like people are building their bookshelves with Little Feminist's uh, monthly subscription, uh, which includes um, a bookmark with discussion questions, an activity, right. and then a re the reason why we chose the book. And so we do, we look at that breadth. So we'll look at the entire year or look what we sent last year and also make sure that that's really balanced. Um, yes. These are also beautifully designed. And I, I, 
I want to talk about these books that you're making. Got it. <laughs> but before we yeah. do that, I want to I want to ask because you you didn't quite lead me here, and I so I'm just going to ask you outright, Britt. Yeah. Where what job you came from? Oh yeah. And then I want to ask you a follow up onto that, which is, did you have a book in mind that you were like, this would be the first book I would send out when I do my subscription box? That's so interesting. That's uh, such a good question. Um, so the 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 job that I left to start Little Feminist was um, I was the I was actually the second employee at a company called Babylist.com. It's a universal baby registry. So I'd been in the parent market, mm-hmm. and um, children's books have been a long uh, a long love of mine. And while I was at Babylist, I noticed that this kind of coming generation of parents wants less stuff with the exception of books (laughs) that uh, like a baby registry would maybe would not have very many toys, but would have 30 books on it. And, um, and you know, there's a lot of classics and, and a lot of the classics (laughs) um, like we were talking about with Dr. Seuss earlier um, are not inclusive. And so Gosh, was there like a first book I wanted to include? So I didn't, um, there was one. Um, one of my favorite books growing up was um, called Balloon Farm. Oh, yeah. And um, then when I had found um, Raising Dragons by the same author, and Judy I don't. Judy Nolan, that's yep. right. Who, and... can I just point out, is a local, like she literally yeah. teaches at the high school across the street from yeah. where we're recording this right now. Oh, is that teacher. true? I oh, swear it is. I've had, um, I have taught, yeah, I, was saying, I have taught students who have had her as a teacher. Oh, so cool. In addition to her just being like amazing, but yeah. yeah. So when I read Raising Dragons and I, so Balloon One was a favorite when I was little and Raising Dragons I found in doing research for Little Feminist. So I should say that, but that was like, that was the example of why Little Feminist should exist. And I can't knock it too much because I, I love that there's been an increase in as diversity has become quote unquote cool. There's been a ton of books about famous women and women of color, um, indigenous activists, all of it. And, and we love that. And the importance of like fictional and imaginary stories that black girls get to ride dragons too. And, um, trans kids can be uh, magicians that 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 it that books that are diverse don't always have to be about the diversity uh, itself is something that I love about raising dragons (laughs) I love that so you bring up very wisely board books Mm -hmm. you bring up books for the young which is as a person who has um very sweetly they uh I, I have had thrown for me a book shower how sweet. Let's throw the library in a book shower <laughs> for when the baby is being born. But I was flooded with board book copies of classics that are older than I am, that are older mm-hmm. in some cases than my, my parents are. Um, and some of these, I think, are just tapping into nostalgia. Yep. But I feel like if any format at all, comics, picture books, novels, board books, Board books is the one that is stuck in. We need to keep these classics. That's what folks keep going to. So how incredible that you all announced that you're going to put your foot into the market, but that it's 
on top of all this, it's going to be with board books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe a little bit stupid. <laughs> no, it was an amazing decision. <laughs> um, the this. I mean, this decision to write our own books happened a little bit accidentally. Um, Archer and I were just looking at the list of books from last year, and our zero to three-year-old book club has grown um, very fast, uh, unexpectedly so. And so keeping those folks happy is important to us, and we were running out of books um, in the board book category. And so I think we just wondered to each other sitting at my... (laughs) kitchen table like well could we could we write the books we've been looking for that is so cool Mm -hmm. yeah because what you came out with this is this never happens on this show but i have a note from my wife to pass on to all of you oh she (laughs) is obsessed with these board books and she was like you tell them we will be buying these books for all of our friends (laughs) i'm like i will tell them that but it doesn't ever happen that way and to see to see so let let me introduce um that you have three board books uh we are little feminists is the name of the series um on the go hair and families are the three that you've done and these books have uh, minimal text that (laughs) is in uh, read by arsha (laughs) um and um beautiful beautiful photographs and um they they are without question the most inclusive and beautiful and i don't know how you did this but i want to say it as a compliment they feel so naturally like they just are it doesn't feel Mm -hmm. forced it doesn't feel contrived is that the right word to put in this context Mm -hmm. it just feels like we're talking about families why wouldn't each one of these families be in this book? Mm-hmm. And that's a really, really beautiful thing, Britt. That's a really, really, really beautiful thing, Archa. Thank you. Now I'm going to yeah. go cry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's really, it's so amazing to hear that feedback. We've been, you know, so deep in these books since we decided to write them that we kind of were like, yeah, these are our books. They're, I mean, they're amazing and wonderful, but we've been looking at them for months on end that we are no longer surprised by them. We're just like, yes, these are our books. They're amazing. And of course that we want to share them with the world, but it's so great to hear that you received them in the way that we intended to send them out into the world. And I think that, um, well, one, I want to mention that I did co-write these books um, with Brooke, uh, who um, wrote On the Go and Hair with me as well. And um, too, that when you were bringing up the family's book, that uh, that is, that's one of the books where we, um, we spent a little bit more time kind of, not necessarily telling a story, but there's a little bit more of a, um, um, maybe a little bit more of a lyrical element in that yeah. in terms of describing what families are like and what, you know, love in some ways is like. It's written and, differently. It's more metaphor than it is um, observation and right. affirmation. Right. Yeah. And um, I think that that book was very 
was very photo driven. That was one of the books where we were very much, um, there were some books where we kind of were having a chicken egg situation. Like, do we do the text first? Do we do the photos first? And that was one of the books where we were like, okay, we need to see um, real families and kind of see them in their element. And so I think there was a lot of um, inspiration drawn in that um, kind of how you're saying that they're not contrived for the family ones, especially of of letting those families kind of speak for themselves in some way and show that their joy through the photo and the text, which we drew from the photos. So, yeah. They're beautiful. And I love the way that you said you've been working on them for so long. Yeah. It's not that long compared to other. (laughs) We know, but. And you know, this, yeah, it's very fast. That that you don't, you no longer like see the surprise in them. Mm. Mm-hmm. But that also is the goal, isn't it? The right. goal is for mm-hmm. our children to not see surprise, but to see humans, mm-hmm. to see people. Mm-hmm. I um, they're they're beautiful. Um, I don't know even where to start, but maybe I can start by asking you if I can read to you. Is that okay? Yes, please do. I love reading to people. <laughs> I'm not going to read all of your books, although I could do it in a couple minutes. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. You guys, I can read your book so fast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But uh, why don't I ask you, Archer, first to tell us a little bit about what we find in On The Go, and then I'll read a little text from it. Sure, yes. So in On The Go, we really wanted to focus on um, mobility, ability, and bodies and their diversity. And so we... Um, tried to find as many diverse kiddos with um, different disabilities. And so we have limb differences, we have wheelchair users in there, um, we have a seeing eye dog. And so it's it's subtle, but we really wanted to show, um, just kind of show that kids and humans come and move in all shapes and forms through that book. And and Britt, um, I would love for you to touch on kind of especially that last page fold where we wanted to um, maybe question some people's assumptions around oh, yeah. ability. Um, so my, yeah, my husband makes an appearance in the book. He uh, uses a wheelchair. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> So we had this idea with on the go of what if the verbs that we used were actually opposite of what folks would expect um, so that like you can walk with a walker um, and that that person is still walking. And so um, <laughs> I'm really proud of on the go because I <laughs> figured out how to get my husband <laughs> in there um, uh, that he is, uh, that's a page that says I might need a little help and he is helping our goddaughter cross the street. Um, so it's the wheelchair user who's helping, um, a, you know, a non-disabled kiddo and that that happens all the time too. Mm-hmm. Right. It's and beautiful then, how you have smiling faces and laughing faces and faces that are determined in this too, because it's it shouldn't it shouldn't be a surprise to those that read children's books that often when we're seeing um, differently abled individuals, we're often seeing 
struggle and it's often pitted in a position of let's pity this individual or yeah. the other side of of inclusive illustration which is like i'm just gonna throw in a kid in a wheelchair right right and again like i i don't i don't want to be too crass I, it's it's great that we are showing a a, a a more realistic representation of what a classroom looks like of what a group of kids looks like but um <laughs> being intentional is certainly to everybody's benefit. Yeah. Yep. So true. So true. (laughs) (laughs) We exist for a purpose, Brit, each Mm -hmm. and every one of us. Mm -hmm. I'll read to you. Here I go. Ready? It goes like this. It starts like this. Oh, my God. These kids are so cute. Um, Sometimes I'm here and I want to go there. I can jump, hike, climb, or bike. I can walk glide run or ride i might need a little help or i get there by myself look at all the ways i can go i read the whole thing sorry (laughs) you cannot i was like well i'm I'm halfway through and this really is rhythmic i'm not gonna stop archa by the way for you um and for brooke um, Brooke is the co-author, correct? Am I right about that? Yeah. 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 I want to say, and I, I understand, I, I believe, I trust that there was labor, labor over these words, but I want to compliment you at how well your meter, your rhythm lands in all three books. Cause that's not the case in all books. And I think that when it, when it works well, it's important that we call that out because our readers, especially, especially at the board book age, will hear these books possibly 50, 60, 70 times. Yeah. And I don't think that's an exaggeration. Right. Yeah. Books that both of my kids have loved, I have read over and over and over and over again. And some of the reason why you read them that much, especially when we think of the greats, the great rhythmic writers like Sandra Boynton, the reason why mm-hmm. we love that text so much is because it's effortless. Mm-hmm. But it takes great effort to make it appear so. Yeah, so that kudos. definitely was the case with us writing these books. And when you have less word count to work with, it requires much more effort to get the exact words in there um, without overwhelming the number of the text. Um, and I think that we really were thinking about, um, to put it in tech terms, <laughs> the user experience that was going to happen with this book. And I think that's kind of one of the benefits of us having getting to experience book creation from start to finish. I know that in more traditional publishing, an author might submit the text to a publishing house, and then so many people will kind of put all the pieces of it together to create a final product. And so that might make it harder to get this seamless experience. And we were really thinking through every detail of the most important part of who is being shown in this book to knowing that people are going to be rereading these books and something as simple, um, which, you know, as we consulted with people, something as simple as you don't want a sentence to run on across four pages when it comes to little kids who like to, you know, kind of have the sense of completion as they're flipping each page. And um, we really got to think through all of those details of the book as we were creating it. And that was an exciting part of getting to make these books in-house. 
you also have the the voice the narration say me i am the reader and i am the voice instead of saying some some people have this experience some people have those instead of really sort of othering you're allowing it to be that personal voice which then allows a child to hit the beat where they say that really is me. <laughs> mm-hmm. I have hair like this and I really do have hair like this. It's hair like mm-hmm. me. Do you mm-hmm. want to share a little bit about hair? Britt, you want to chime um, in on that one? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the, the topics, hair families and on the go <laughs> was decided because we were thinking about, we think about intersectional feminism a lot and all the intersection of identities. And so we knew we wanted to hit on race and ethnicity, mobility, ability, and gender and sexuality, but we didn't want our books to be about <laughs> gender, sexuality, race and ethnicity, and mobility, ability. And so the question became, well, what's a lens that we can use to like examine and feature these amazing identities without having it be a book about race for a three-year-old? Um, and so hair is yeah very subtly about race and ethnicity but through the lens of hair and that was the first this is the first book uh that we wrote of the three and um this was yeah also the chicken and egg problem what comes first the photos or the text but we knew we did kind of write out the the types of hair that we wanted to make sure we featured and i think my favorite page um, is the one with a family with a kiddo with alopecia that we can sometimes have no hair also. And, um, yeah, so hair, yeah, I think that, 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 yeah. Hair can be in twists or locks, or you might have a smooth head that rocks. Yes, yeah. definitely. And connected I... with, with an adult in that picture that also has a smooth head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. And I think that um, when we were trying to think of this lens through which we can um, have kids look at this concept of race and ethnicity, you know, we think we do think it's really important to talk to your kids about um, talk to your kids about race and ethnicity, not that they shouldn't be talking about that or know those words. um, But we think that this is a perfect springboard for that. And we actually have um, a lot of resources on our website for you know how how can you use this book as a tool to have that really important conversation with your child starting from really young ages i love that your line you you close the book with my hair makes me happy it's just right but on my hair makes me happy it's the one page where you have a kid with hair dyed a different color yeah and i feel like is that not always what i hear from folks that dye their hair different colors is i just wanted to do something to make me happy Mm. (laughs) and i hadn't thought about that until you put it down on that page and it's just it's just i don't know it's so it's so beautifully anticipates a child saying why is their hair that color because Mm -hmm. they're happy (laughs) <laughs> I love it. I love, love that hair. Anyway, yeah. speaking of colors of hair, I would like to have. Um, <laughs> you know, I um. Why don't we? Why don't we end with families? End with this book that. Uh, this book that 
uses such beautiful metaphor as family is tall shoulders that I can climb. Dance parties, anytime. Big belly laughs we can share. Silly faces without a care. And then my favorite line. All our love piled in a heap. That's so good. (laughs) Comfy place for me to sleep. That's my favorite. All our love piled in a heap. We've had some heap pile pile heaps of 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 family in in our household and I love that. (laughs) That was definitely that photo just was the perfect inspiration. I give full credit to that family for for those words because I saw that photo and I was like, that's the only way you can describe this amazing photograph. Um, (laughs) And so, yeah, I think um, our family's book, um, I personally, that book, uh, I spent a lot of time thinking about the text for that. And it actually, I think, Britt, correct me if I'm wrong, that Mm -hmm. book, we kind of, it took us longer to find the photos for that book than the other books. Yeah, I think we didn't know what we were looking for. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Which is good and bad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> other than the fact that we knew we wanted as many um, family types, so to speak, as many representations as you can imagine of family mm-hmm. um, as possible, um, and to show our world beyond so many binaries and boxes that we see it in so often and um, I think one really interesting experience we had when creating this book is that you know we it was important for us the whole time to really continually check our privilege as we are selecting photos to go into this book because we are trying to show as many humans as possible and our identities are not going to overlap all the ones that are Mm -hmm. often left out of being represented of being represented in books and so I think that was um, something that we were trying to constantly check ourselves on especially because as we were trying to connect with families um, social media specifically Instagram was something that um, was the easiest search tool to use as we're looking for photos Um, but then also reminding ourselves that you know what we're seeing on that is still only a certain representation of certain people um, and that we want to make sure really consciously and intentionally that we're not showing people that fit into this really white standard of what a beautiful appealing family photo is because that is that is something that is really kind of infiltrated in our brains if we're not taking the time to to check it when we look at photographs and so that was something that was a process for us as we as we created this book Hmm. for me one of the most surprising and delightful pictures which i bet you could anticipate i'm going to say um is at the end of the book where the text reads holding me close as i grow because it's if i remember the one photo of the entire book of families where the baby isn't born yet. Mm-hmm. The baby is still growing inside the parent. And this parent is a transgender man. Mm-hmm. And that notion of closeness and how that can look so many different ways and how growth can look so many different ways, but that we as families are close before you're even born, child. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. um, and to show we um, I've just been reading some um, books with my with my students, um, including when Aiden became a brother. Yeah, we love that. Aiden. Yeah, on the Stonewall yes. this year, beautiful yep. book. Yes, um, and to have that book in our minds, and then to have um, this book in my hands. I just feel like, isn't this wonderful that our children are curious, our students are curious how this works because they don't know, but to see, to bear witness to other individuals in our world, in our lives Mm -hmm. that are living that experience, how, how better a way to understand than to see it happening and to affirm the beauty of it happening. And so, um, this baby looks, I'm going to say near full term because mm-hmm. that belly looks big. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like a, ba- a belly ready to pop. Um, yes. I love too that he is tattooed mm-hmm. and bearded and holding that baby. Yeah. Let's see that baby. There's lots of babies <laughs> in here that are super cute babies. But, um, I think also when we, um, when we, put that photo into the book that we found not only is that a place for children to you know express their curiosity and to like you said it so beautifully to bear witness to all the humans that exist in our very colorful world I think that also it's an opportunity for adults to do that um, to express curiosity, to wonder. Um, I, I brought these books home at, when I was visiting my mom in Chicago, I brought her the books to show her for the first time. And she was reading that book and she got to that page and she said to me, um, we speak Gujarati at home. So she said to me in Gujarati, which means what kind of photo is this? And she said, she said it with like curiosity, you know, not like, what but she was just like oh this is what is this photo and so then I was explaining to her that oh this is a photo of a transgender man who's pregnant and um and she was like oh okay and you know I think it's just this you know not only children need to have that opportunity to have that experience of just just look at all these humans that are in our world you know they're not it doesn't need to necessarily always be um, like a news article on something like this, right? It's this right. opportunity to kind of just take it in the way a child would. And for all of this hatred and response to our current administration and that mm-hmm. change in administration that you spoke of helping to incite the start of Little Feminist, I would argue that this book, this these three books together really help affirm the, the beauty of humans look how beautiful and diverse and wonderful we are and that it just helps to have like some real good beautiful photos <laughs> to have them all together in a book it also reminded me that I don't I don't see books a lot that have photos in them do I unless mm-hmm. it's a photo book for a board book especially unless it's a photo book that's like this is your nose these are your toes and it's sort of pointing to different body parts, but then that's sort of it. Or Tana Hoban doing books about like, here are shapes in your world, mm-hmm. but to have, here are people in your world and they have eyes and ears and nose and toes and 
all the things. I just feel like you're you're bridging something there, Britt, that I that that I, I think already has a place mm-hmm. in the world. I know there was a need for it, but these books I this is a very privileged assumption, but to me I feel like they're already welcome. They already belong, and I credit that to the care you and your team put into it. Thank you. Yeah. I I am most happy that you look at these books and um, (laughs) we get so many amazing books that are self-published. And um, I, one of my biggest, well, there's so much pride in these, but I also love that you look at them and touch them and read them and they don't feel um, like they were self-published by a brand new publisher who didn't know what they were doing. (laughs) Uh, Well, you you give yourself some credit that, yeah, that you do. did know yeah. you did know what you were doing because you yeah. asked questions and you cared and you didn't care about getting it out right now but instead getting it out right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that yeah. that shows so i don't know you're you're no different than any other guest that comes on here where i'm like and now for the next 40 minutes i'm just going to constantly talk about how obsessed and in love with your work i am <laughs> But I, I know for sure that what I can say to you both directly is that I truly hope, one, that these meet readers and, and find their home and, and spread, but also I hope that there will be more. I hope that that we all can affirm the need, like we need to bring us back to the top, the way that we as people that buy books, it is our responsibility to communicate our value our value in these books by purchasing them or by requesting them from our library, or even just by going to your local bookstore and requesting that they carry the book. Mm-hmm. You know that folks know that you don't even need to buy the book, but just get it there. Mm-hmm. Speak the need for that book yes. and, and help you know, get it to hands that need it. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing these books with me. Britt, thank you for sharing little feminist with me. All those I guess years ago when you were starting um, because I, I I really care about what you do and I know many, many other people care about what you do as well. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. That means a lot. It keeps the, yeah, keeps the fight in us. It's so important. (laughs) The fight and the love. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I, I want to thank you for putting aside time for me tonight to talk. Um, And I I do want to end um, with our readers, yes. be them, be them babies or parents reading to them or, or those third and fourth graders that I will directly see tomorrow morning. And I'll mm-hmm. say that I will see a library full of children tomorrow morning. Britt, I'll start with you. Is there a message that I can bring to them from you? Yeah, mine is that you are loved, uh, all of you, no matter what. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Arja. <laughs> Is there a message I can bring to them from you? Yes, definitely. That my message is that you deserve to see yourself in the world, and as for us as the adults in in this world that you are going to inherit, we will fight to make sure that happens for you. The Children's Book Podcast is recorded and produced by me, Matthew Winner, in my library studio in Ellicott City, Maryland. You can subscribe to the podcast and access the archive of over 550 episodes at matthewcwinner.com slash podcast. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear, care of the Free Music Archive. 
All views and opinions expressed on the show are those of the individuals and do not reflect the ideas or viewpoints of the publishers of the books referenced. Want to help out the show? Writing a review on iTunes or sharing the podcast with friends through Facebook, Twitter, word of mouth, or any other means helps reach more listeners, which leads to more content and more amazing guests. And that's a very good thing indeed. We know you value what you put in front of your kids, especially when it comes to screens and podcasts. That's why we're excited to share a new podcast from our friends at Sleepiest, creating bedtime stories to help your kids fall asleep fast. Hello, Abby here. If you've got children and find bedtimes a struggle, I'd like to tell you about Coco Sleep, a children's story podcast designed to make bedtime a dream. Coco Sleep turns a chaotic bedtime into cozy bonding time. The stories are delivered in a pace that gently slows. Rumour has it that no one's ever heard an ending. So search Coco Sleep on your favourite podcast app and let's make bedtime a dream. That's K-O-K-O Sleep and I'll see you there.